Welcome to another episode of Criterion on the Couch, a podcast from two amateur film buffs as they make their way through the vast Criterion collection one title at a time, all from the comfort of the couch. I'm Adam Yurick, along with Jim Massessa. And today's episode features Armageddon. Jim's going to take us through the official Criterion summary and specs. Bruce Willis and an all-star cast of roughneck oil drillers blast off on a mission to save the planet in Michael Bay's doomsday space epic. That's it. It's a very short summary this time. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is a movie that came out in 1998. It's 153 minutes long, so that's over two hours. It's in color, 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio. And if you're following along at home, this is Criterion Spine number 40. And uh, that is not the lowest number that we've done. I think RoboCop was lower than, than this. I don't know what number it was, but it was lower, if that matters to anyone out there, which it probably doesn't. It's it's kind of strange. I think we talked about this before, but this is a DVD. They don't have it on Blu-ray. I don't know if I mentioned that. I don't think I did, but we watched the DVD version because there was no Blu-ray in the Criterion, at least. But I have a lower number movie in the Criterion, and it is on Blu-ray. So I'm guessing they re-release some movies on blu-ray but they keep yeah. the original spine number however the movies that came out on laserdisc back in the day had alternate numbers yeah i think when the when the dvd stuff started that's when so if it was released on dvd and then they have uh released it again on blu-ray the the edition number stays the same yeah it's so like re- re-release it so Ar- armageddon is Probably never going to get a Blu-ray release. I think it's gotten like crappy Blu-ray releases from whatever studio put it out to begin with, but it's not like a super marquee film that's, you know, it's it's one of those films that's, you can easily probably buy it in that section at Giant in the grocery store where they sell <laughs> movies for like thirty nine ninety nine, and I don't know who buys movies there. And in like, if you go into like an, uh, a Best Buy it's or or target it's in their like two movies for a 5.99 deal or it's like in the big i don't remember i don't know if they still do but they had that like big bin there's just a pile of blu-rays and you're like digging through because they're only like 3.99 you're hoping you're gonna find something great but they're just like scream four and armageddon and um i don't know like holes two was that a movie (laughs) holes Uh, holes was i don't was there a sequel uh if there was it would be in that bin (laughs) it's kind of a shame because I felt like a lot of the effects in this movie didn't hold up too great. And I think a lot of that was also, it's, it's just the quality does not look good. Like very grainy. I felt like there were scenes that just seemed blurry. And I don't think it was that they were out of focus. It's just, I'm so used to HD everything now that this didn't look great. Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, I know my Blu-ray player upgrades stuff to, you know, you put a DVD in, it kind yeah, of scales yeah. it up. It didn't look too bad to me. I mean, I'm watching it on like a 55-inch TV. I would say that definitely didn't look as good as other movies that I have previously seen on DVD and now seen again on Blu-ray, and you can really tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that it, it did look pretty good to me from a DVD perspective. I think that if it's in the Criterion Collection, whatever you're seeing audio, video-wise, it's going to be the best version of that film Yeah, that's going to be out there. It would be interesting Definitely not going to do it with this movie because I don't really have plans to watch this movie again anytime in the near future. 
but to kind of compare the two and see if you go buy the blu-ray for probably like five bucks six bucks on amazon and compare it to this dvd like which looks better i'd hazard a guess to say that you know that the criterion dvd probably would hold its own against the the blu-ray if we want to do that kind of comparison yeah i feel like a lot of times they don't really make the blu-ray look any better they're just whatever not criterion but i mean other companies they just put it out because it's a, a different medium but speaking of criterion having the best quality i still wonder are they ever going to do anything on a 4k disc because like i recently got the 4k director's cut remastered version of the original blade runner and in 4k it looked amazing they actually did work on that but as far as I know, Criterion has no 4K. And when you look at the specs for a lot of what they've already done, when they were resampling movies or reprocessing them, they were doing it, I think, at the most at 2K. So I don't know, putting anything out at 4K, would they even notice anything versus the Blu-ray? I think they would have to rescan. They've it. done they've done some 4K, they've done some 4K remasters, but I don't know. I think that. 4k video is still not something that's a 4k blu-rays and everything aren't really still something that's it's more of like a niche audience Mm -hmm. you would think that the people who buy in criterion films would be people who would fall into that niche audience of having like great audio setups and things like that but they're still putting out dvds of these movies too in addition to these blu-rays so clearly people are buying the dvds I, i feel like they're such a smaller production company that they may just not invest their money into that until it's like clearly widely adopted i think you know they just recently launched their streaming platform i honestly think that's yeah where they should be spending their time and their money is is developing that because that's what people want to do versus trying to do the the 4k stuff because honestly like you think about some of the movies that they're putting up there and like how much better is a movie made in 19 in the 1960s going to look scanned at four at 2k versus 4k like you're probably not going to notice much of a difference there's a ton of movies in the criterion collection that were shot on 16 millimeter film versus 35 millimeter film so the negative that you have to work with is so much tinier that i don't know that it'd be even worth it to spend their time like another movie that's in their older stuff like a charlie chaplin film or some of these older like fritz lang things that are from the 30s and 20s and 30s like no one's for what's 4k gonna do for you there it's not gonna really do much and a huge portion of the criterion movies are fall into that era so i think this movie is an exception in that it is a clear-cut hollywood blockbuster popcorn action movie i think a lot of people would say why the heck is armageddon in the criterion collection yeah i would say that yeah i mean i i would say that too i think it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb robocop is the same way it just is not you look at a lot of the movies that are in the criterion collection and it's just it doesn't really fit but at the same time if you view the criterion collection as a collection of classic and cult films which is in a one way how they describe their collection and, and important films that a film like robocop like we talked about that a while like why that's in the criterion collection and a film like armageddon it's a sample of the Michael Bay action film. So if you view, oh, the Criterion Collection is collecting kind of a thing that if you could only watch movies out of the Criterion Collection, would you get a good sample of every era, every genre, just about every era, every genre of movie? Maybe, maybe not. There may be a couple missing, but this is a good example of, hey, you've got this 
ridiculous Michael Bay action movie that made it in. And who knows? It may have made it in just simply because they paid the Criterion Collection to distribute the film because no one else wanted to do it. Could be. I mean, it's definitely a reflection of that time, whatever was out and what was popular at that time. You know, Armageddon, 1998, that was one of the biggest, it might have been the biggest movie that year. So it was nominated for four Oscars for its insane. special effects. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. It has a six point seven rating on IMDb. That's not terrible. No. I don't really like Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't really know what uh what that rating is. But I don't know. I mean, like if I look at Michael Bay movies, I don't think all of his movies are bad. I'd watch The Rock, that's a good movie. I think that's kind of a a funnier movie. And uh even even Bad Boys isn't bad. No pun intended he did bad boys and the rock before this and then armageddon and then he did pearl harbor like two years later right and then he got into the transformer series and he's pretty much spent the rest of his career just creating transformer movies which aren't terrible movies for what they are if you're just looking for like pretty much an action movie and you just want to see things blow up and there's not much of a great story behind it you got your movie but yeah, this is an interesting film in that it I feel like it's a type of film that now we don't we don't really see a lot of those. I mean, you have like the Godzilla movies and stuff like that that come out, but this kind of pre-apocalyptic film in a way. Hmm. Now like a lot of the films that we've gotten yeah, post 9/11 have been like your Hunger Games type of thing where it's like the world has already had something horrible happen to it and it's how people are surviving in it. Yeah. And this was kind of the pre, like, hey, something terrible is about to happen to the, to the world, and we saved it. Like your Independence Day, this Deep Impact, uh, all those, um, what was it, the two volcano movies that came out in the earlier in Dante's in the early Peak, 90s. yeah, Dante's Peak. What was the other one? I forget. The I think one. it was one vol- have, Volcano. I think it was called. Yeah, Volcano. One had Tommy Lee Jones, I think, right? And the other was Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So similar type of thing. You know, you mentioned Deep Impact. I actually. After I watched Armageddon, I watched Deep Impact. And I don't know if I saw Armageddon in the theater when it came out. I definitely saw Deep Impact. And that one really stuck with me. And the whole time I was watching Armageddon, I'm like, I swear Deep Impact was better than this. But I hadn't seen it since the 90s, so maybe I was wrong. And they both, they came out, I think, a month or two apart. And Deep Impact came out first. Armageddon came out second. But Armageddon has grossed way more than Deep Impact did. But Deep Impact had an amazing cast, like Elijah Wood, Morgan Freeman. Okay, hold on. Uh, Let me just stop you there. Richard you Schiff, Taya Leone. You, <laughs> you can't start a sentence with, they had an amazing cast, and then say Elijah Wood. Like, you can't, he's, I would not. I'm saying, him. all right. That's not saying, like, they had an amazing cast, like Bruce Willis. They had ben more, Affleck, they, Liv Tyler, they had actors of a Billy more Thornton. serious acting capacity. And and I mean, really? I mean, in a more a drama sense for that for that era because all of the actors of the main cast of Armageddon have all gone on to be nominated well maybe not Bruce Willis but like been in more dramatic serious films so let's some of them being nominated and or winning academy awards let's talk about the acting that's one of our our categories since we're on it <laughs> did we cover why it's a criterion film did we get like i mean you, you talked like that's acceptable through that and okay. I, I think, yeah, I, I don't know if there's like a, a clear enough reason, but I think the reasons you gave are probably as good as any. All right. That's fair. 
I would say the three big names that people remember when you hear Armageddon is Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler. No Billy Bob Thornton? You don't hear four names? I normally... It's a global killer. He's in it, but I would say he is not a main character. The part he's playing is an important part, but when you look at on-screen time, he's not really on-screen that much. He is in the beginning, but then he really drops off. I would consider Billy Bob Thornton a main character. Yeah. He may not get as much screen time as some of the other people, but he's there all the time in the background. Yeah. All right. All right. Billy Bob Thornton is the executive director for NASA. That's the part he's playing anyway. And he has a line. Dan Truman. Dan Truman. Like nine minutes into the movie, he says, It's a meteor shower. That's what took out the shuttle. Now, he's the director of NASA, and he called it a meteor shower. But that's not what took out the shuttle, because the shuttle was in space. Meteors are what burn up in the atmosphere. Meteorites hit the ground, and when they're in space, it's a meteoroid. Ooh. So a meteoroid hit the space shuttle. Come on. Come yeah, on. I mean, that's just fact-checking right there. That's a terrible script supervisor. I feel like you could go through the majority of this movie. The entire premise of the movie, which I know famously, if you go and listen to the uh, commentary with Ben Affleck, who I think was probably drunk the entire time he did the commentary, <laughs> Because he spends the entire commentary bashing the film. And his kind of common thing is like, why didn't you just train astronauts yes. to be oil drillers? Why did you train oil, oil drillers to be astronauts? Because it takes a lot longer to become an astronaut yes. than it does to become an oil dr- driller. No offense to any oil drillers listening to this podcast if you're out there. Well, in Deep Impact, they send astronauts. And the astronauts do the drilling. It just makes sense. And... They do a good job. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite. Like when they bring um, uh, Bruce Willis to where they're like designing the drill, and they're like, "Oh, are you familiar with this?" He's like, "Of course I am. It's my design." And then they're like, "He's like, you're not doing it right. You got it all backwards. You got this in here, and blah blah blah. You got the whatever the crankshaft thing in here wrong, and it's and it's you're gonna burn it out. Like, come on, really? NASA engineers right. can't read a patent." <laughs> thing and like build the thing and then problem solve and figure it out i don't even know if it's worth going through all the ridiculousness in this movie because there's so many things but to go back to your original thing to talk about the acting yes i don't know if there's because it's also like the material that you're provided which with which interestingly enough jj abrams one of the screenwriters on this movie yeah really interesting i i don't know like judging by the credits it looks like he was a major writer on it i I don't know the backstory if he just like did some quick ghostwriting and stuff like that because i know like aaron sorkin was uncredited as writing some of the jokes in the rock and you can tell some of the scenes that were written by aaron sorkin yeah but yeah i mean i i think it's a bruce willis movie it's really what this is yeah well so besides besides bruce willis and Liv tyler and ben affleck one thing i'll say about about Liv tyler most recently for me at least i've seen her in the leftovers which i've mentioned before which is also Mm -hmm. about the end of the world so that's kind of interesting um chris ellis who's in this movie uh plays a flight director he's also astronaut deke slayton in Apollo 13. Yeah. And he's in a movie I watched two days ago for about the 40th time, That Thing You Do. Oh, good movie. Where he plays, Tom Hanks movie. he's the band's original manager. And yes, Tom Hanks is in that movie. And Tom Hanks is in Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Circle yeah. of Life. Tom Hanks also wrote and directed That Thing You Do, in case you didn't know. Yes. That. Some other 
of the probably more well-known now actors who who popped up back then, uh, Pete Stormare. He's the lone Russian guy in the ISS. He plays Lev Andropov. Yes. So he really plays the same part in everything. And another great actor in this movie, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare are both in the movie Fargo, where Peter actually feeds Steve Buscemi into a wood chipper at the end of the movie. Yeah, Fargo, great movie. Is that that's not in the Criterion Collection? No, I it's not. I don't think it is. It's not. It should be. It definitely should be. Udu Kier, uh, he plays the NASA psychologist in this movie. He's in a very kind of brief scene in the middle. He's in one of my other favorite movies, Melancholia. Oh, Jesus. He plays a wedding planner, and that movie is also about the end of the world. <laughs> really really getting typecast here. And uh, one final, yeah. two final things. I'll say the narration right in the beginning of this movie, where I don't know why they do this, but they're showing like the Earth. Oh, yeah. It's the guy. It's the guy who did Optimus Prime. It's Charleston Heston. Charlton doing Heston the doing the voice. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. He's in the credits. So. Really? In, yes. I thought it was the same guy who did the uh, voice for Optimus Prime. I don't think so. Hold on, we're Googling. Oh, yeah, narration by Charlton Heston. Crazy. You're right. Wow. It really sounded like the guy who did uh, the uh, Optimus Prime voice. Yeah. Well, maybe they, I was going to say, maybe they put some effects on his voice to make him sound like Charlton Heston, but whatever. That Well, they definitely did put effects on him, but anyway. I feel like that's kind of a cameo because... Nobody really knew that was Charlton Heston. The only other interesting, well, no, three other cameos. <laughs> There's a NASA engineer slash scientist who's like moving around stuff when they're in the office. I think he's at one of the conference tables when they're having a meeting. That is Michael Bay. He put himself in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then right in the beginning, almost right in the beginning, there's a couple scenes in New York that they serve no purpose. They're just there for like comedy they had Eddie Griffin, who mm-hmm. you don't really hear anything about nowadays, but he was a pretty big comedian back in the 90s. And Mark Curry, who used to play Mark Cooper from Hanging with Mr. Cooper, which was big in the 90s. They both, uh, Mark was a taxi driver and Eddie Griffin was like a bike messenger or something. Eddie Griffin almost gets blown up by a, a meteorite. Mm-hmm. There you go. Because yeah. I hit the ground. And he's got a lot of dumb exposition that is pretty questionable too. There was like a guy in a Hawaiian shirt near him and he was, he said something about, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be throwing your fat pineapple eating ass through the window. Yeah, there was a lot of, there, yeah, that kind of was like, you could probably cut that whole scene from the movie. And uh, the same thing with Mark Curry, he's driving a taxi and... And it's Friday payday too. Somebody probably jumped to get that paycheck. Yes. I want to go shopping. Me too. <laughs> oh yeah. So that not was good. Brutal. So not that good. That was brutal. Yeah, that was not cool at all. Anyway, there's all I mean, there's other actors that are, you know, they're they're just they're kind of forgettable. What's his name? The um the guy from Green Mile? He's in this, right? Oh, Michael, what's like Michael Clark Duncan, yeah. Right. Well, and it, Owen Wilson's in this. We haven't even yeah. talked about Owen Wilson or Steve Buscemi. I mean, it's a good cast. I, I Like I said, I don't know that there's... It's so wasted, ...bad though. acting in this movie because, you know, you just have a terrible, terrible script. Yeah. I think that's really 
really what what you're looking at because you have a collection of really really good actors and i don't know like i said i don't know that there's any like really moments of like overacting in it Mm. i mean i think there's some just like really cheesy scenes that they have most of the scenes are very cheesy i would say steve buscemi had a lot of overacting in this yeah but he always has roles like that in movies like this like that's kind of his character i think ben affleck's playing like is probably having the most overacting in, in in a role i mean well it's just not what about bruce willis chasing him with a shotgun literally yeah, shooting okay. at him on his oil rig well okay so that's a whole thing the whole oil rig thing is just i've never been on an oil rig <laughs> but i've seen it portrayed in other television shows and movies so i feel like i can speak specifically there was an episode of psych <laughs> in which they went to an oil rig and like people it, it's not that dirty it's not that rusted down and dirty. I don't get this guy clearly has a lot of money. It's hinted to at another point that he is not poor mm-hmm. because he does this for a living. He, you know, hits these big. He's the best there is. He must be rich. Right. He's the best there is. And his oil rig looks like he has been working on that oil rig for 50 years. And it's just like the worst rundown thing that there is. You think someone would be able to, you know, clean it up a little bit maybe take care of it there's got to be osha like osha comes to these things it's clearly like a lot of weird stuff also he raised his daughter on an oil rig yeah that's i don't that's just that's bad parenting yeah yeah a little bit but still like just it just doesn't the premise is completely ridiculous to begin with two instances of a gun being used in this movie in situations in which there would never be a gun being used yes this and this is the minor one too so a shotgun (laughs) and an oil rig Clearly not a great idea. No. Because oil burns. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you ignite oil, it burns. It creates a really, really big fire. Gun on a space shuttle. So first of all, I don't think guns work in zero gravity. Uh, I don't know how they work on the gravity of an asteroid that potentially has less gravity. It's proved out in, you, you take their little trucks that they have and he drives that across a canyon because there's not gravity like they're, they're equating the gravity is probably the same as the moon or a little bit less yeah so you shoot a gun in less than in, in regular earth gravity it, the bullet is not going to necessarily travel at the same velocity and i would think it would go way. even further however well, it would go further you hold gravity the gun, wouldn't slow it down you're gonna have a much stronger kickback, I would think, because you're getting that equal reaction against you and there's no gravity like holding you down to the ground. Exactly. Also, why would you bring a gun? Why? Like that's not gonna be That's the big question. You blow a hole in the side of a spaceship, everybody dies. Like it's just it's gonna happen. You don't even need to shoot the person to kill them. You just need to stab them with you just need to cut a hole in their spacesuit and they're dead in like ten seconds. Well, yeah, even even uh, Will Patton, uh, Chick, I think, whatever is Chick. Chick. He even says, What are you doing with a gun in space? <laughs> exactly. I laughed so hard. I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> in addition to, why are you guys in space to begin with? There's no way any of those guys would pass. It reminded me of, have you ever seen The Right Stuff? Yeah. So there's a scene in that movie where, so for anybody who doesn't know The Right Stuff, great book. 
It's about all of these uh, test pilots and the pilots who formed the uh, initial missions to eventually go to the moon. And the movie is based on that book. Great movie. Dennis Quaid, ton of other actors. But anyway, and there's a scene in which they're doing all these medical tests on these prospective astronauts. And in one of the scenes, they give them all enemas and they make them like walk down the hallway, which I think they did in Armageddon. Like it's the same thing. They're doing all these tests on people. And you think about the right stuff. These were guys who were test pilots who were used to pulling several G's in a plane who had, were able to stress test and do all these ridiculous things that were done to them for NASA to see if they were okay. And that was like the same type of testing that was being applied. Like I, I actually think they just stole some of these things right from, you know, what was done during those early Apollo missions because they were doing these insane over-the-top tests that really had nothing to do with if they really would be good astronauts right, or not. Right. They were just using it as an opportunity to scientifically test, like, how much can we mess with the human body and how much can it survive? So they're doing some of these tests, but none of these guys, there's maybe two or three of them that could probably actually handle the environment and the stresses and stuff like that that go into being an astronaut and, and how they're doing it. Well, so they, they give them like a psychological evaluation, which is, I, I feel like that scene is just there for laughs. Somebody's doing a dance. Somebody's like making a joke about your mom or. You stick that in me, I'm going to stab you in the heart with it. You ever see Pulp Fiction? At the end of it, the psychologist is seen stamping all of their forms, like rejected, rejected, rejected. Right, right. And then they show the NASA executives and they just say like, well, we're going to override that and put them through anyway. If you already know going into this, I don't care what the psych eval says, we're going to put them in space anyway. Why just waste a full day evaluating all these yeah. oil rig guys who only have a week to train to get into space? Exactly, exactly. The time lapse of time in this movie, I don't really understand. No. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't get how many days have passed, how much time is going on. Like, couldn't they have just sent astronauts up to take care of this? It's just, yeah, just the way that kind of like NASA handles everything is just, it's completely stupid to begin with, too. They're working on the Bruce Willis's drill bit. The NASA people are working on it in the same plane hangar where there's B-2 bombers just sitting there. Like, yeah. Wouldn't you have that down in like some lab? And, and also, so I think it was actually nine days they had from the time they got there until they had to go into space. But they let them all go home and like go visit their families and they're, they're going out to like a casino. What? It doesn't make any sense. There's no way you would let those people have that much time. It, it's not even that you're just sending them into space. You're sending them with a specific mission to save the entire planet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're just like, go out and party if you'd like to for a little bit. So, all right. I would say I'm going to chalk all that up to writing, not necessarily the acting, but it was, it was tough to watch. It was, it was just because it was so, they're asking you to take this seriously, this catastrophe, potential catastrophe, but it doesn't seem like any of the characters are taking it seriously. The only person who seems to take it seriously is Liv Tyler, and she's taking it too seriously in that <laughs> somehow she still gets into like ground control inside of NASA. There's no reason for her to be there when everyone's yeah. in space and she's yeah. just running. That's my father up there. Yeah. You're not helping anything like get <laughs> out of the room. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, that's just uh, completely, completely ridiculous. 
But, you know, speaking of acting and, and Owen Wilson, this is the second Criterion movie we've reviewed where Owen Wilson dresses like a cowboy. Rushmore. Right, Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Royal Tenenbaums. Does he dress like a cowboy in Rushmore? Is he in I Rushmore? I don't think he's in Rushmore, no. I don't think he's in Rushmore. So what? one of the things that I, is interesting is that they are practicing in the zero gravity simulator at NASA, which is that big, like, mm-hmm. is that big pool, okay? So NASA uses that to simulate working in zero gravity. And they're, like, using those trucks and they're using that drill and doing all that stuff. But they're not going to be in zero gravity right. on an asteroid. They've established that there is gravity on the asteroid. So there's no point in training in that simulator for what they're doing. They didn't do that in the Apollo missions for like walking on the moon and stuff like that because it's not zero gravity. The whole point is to be able to put you in a is put you underwater and like turn you upside down and have you be able to work and do all this stuff. Right. And it be in this kind of zero gravity environment. I think they have a line about gravity being inconsistent on the on the asteroid, which is pretty right, convenient. Right, because its orbit is con- constantly changing, and because in certain well, of course, it's convenient because it's just you know it's exactly what they need to be able to do the movie. Right, like d- dust that they kick up with their shoes just falls right to the ground because it's real dust, and they're on Earth shooting a movie. But that rover in one scene, they they jump like a Grand Canyon-sized cliff, and they just sail right over it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, no big deal. Well, then, then there's also other things to it. Like, the space shuttles fly like F-16 fighter jets in space. Yeah. Like, those things are... I have... I mean, they're modeled after a regular space shuttle. Clearly, they're. you can tell that they're bigger than a regular space shuttle. Yeah, and you've flown one. Like, you know how slow that is. No, I have not flown oh, a space oh. shuttle. I thought that's... All right. I was getting to, I have stood next to the actual space shuttle that's been in space. Those things are gigantic. Yeah. You can't fly a thing like that. Like it's an F, the way they just kind of break off and just kind of like do these maneuvers, like they're a small F-16 or a small fighter jet. It doesn't work like that. It's like a space shuttle is like flying like a Boeing 737. The thing's huge. You, you can do some things, but I, again, it's a ridiculous action movie where they just make everything up when they go. It also seemed kind of strange to me that they chose to approach the asteroid through the the tail. They were flying into all of the debris. That was like the dumbest idea. Like, why not come down from any of the sides? Don't come in from behind it. Yeah, I don't get that. Well, I mean, there's clearly a lot of things that we don't get about this. Also, on on the thing I just thought of, on those rovers that they had, towards the end there what they had like a turret gun on the top of it yeah yeah because he says because clearly you put, a turret, you, you put a turret gun on top of a, like a moon rover that you're just supposed to drive around that's completely ridiculous it's just so oh oh conveniently there's a machine gun on top of a, a rover so that it can come in handy at the end of this thing when we need to have someone go crazy and just shoot the crap out of people right or as uh, colonel sharp would say you lost your mind he's got space dementia Cause that's a thing. Space dementia. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause space dementia is actually something that actually happens. Yeah. I think, I think that's in, you know, the medical books. I think I've heard that it in the medical books yeah. <laughs> for every, every pound that you have to send into space, it costs about $10,000. So that turret gun alone was probably over a million dollars just in the fuel to get it off the ground. And yeah, there were two space shuttles 
So they probably each had one of those in there. But this is to save the world. So, so yeah, you know, throw it all out there. As spare many, no expense. As many turret guns as you can. I also thought it was a very bad idea to launch. They built and launched both space shuttles at the same spot. So they were both coming out of, was it Florida that they were at? Yeah, they launched out of Florida. So so I'm assuming that's like the Kennedy Space Center. Yeah. It, the Earth had already been hit by meteorites at that point. Why would you build the only two space shuttles in the exact same spot when one meteorite fragment could come and blow them both up and now you're out of luck? Put one well, in Texas. Fair, put one NASA in Florida. doesn't really, you know, they pretty much launch everything out of Florida. So it sounds like both the space shuttles were already in use in some way. Those designs, they weren't designed specifically for the mission. They were like souped up secret military space shuttles. Still seem like which was a, a bad line in the West Wing. <laughs> that, oh, that's true. And Richard Schiff, who was in the West Wing, was in Deep Impact, not Armageddon. Wow, that's a direct connection. Direct connection. So those asteroid fragments, by the way, the meteorites, I don't know if a meteorite comes from an asteroid. I guess it does. I'll, I'll give them that one. Maybe it does. We had meteorites blowing up the space shuttle Atlantis in space. Yes. The meteorites uh, kill a street vendor in New York. Somehow Eddie Griffin and his little dog survive while a car next to him flips upside down several times. Um, they blow up 53rd Street Station. They blow up the Empire State Building. They blow up the MetLife Building. They blow up the Port Authority, the Twin Towers. Too soon. Never forget. Hashtag. That's true. Yeah. Paris. They hit the Eiffel Tower and Notre Dame. Again, too soon. And... <laughs> Then the rest of the world, they just kind of group together and say like, oh, 50,000 people in Shanghai got killed. Right. It's just like, well, he, hey, here's all landmarks. your landmarks. And then, yeah, there's people in the other part of the world we don't care Poor about. Poor New York. I feel like someone's written their dissertation about why how New York City is just always the one that gets that gets it. Yeah. But then again, in real life, they kind of get it. In Paris, kind of gets it. So it's like, you know. Yeah, I think the happens. same thing happens in uh, Independence Day, right? Well, Washington, D.C. gets hit pretty bad. But yeah, I think Paris gets blown up. Eiffel Tower, maybe. Well, they put they park the spaceships over yeah, yeah, all yeah. the big cities. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting to think about why maybe, um, you know, the Twin Towers getting destroyed in this movie, being pre-9-11, post-9-11, like, do we not see this that much because of that? Like, it'd be interesting. I wonder if it, I, I would imagine that this is one of those movies that was put on, you know, like right after September 11th, there was like all these things where we weren't going to show these movies, these yep. TV shows, yep. play these songs on the radio. This had to have actually had to have been on that list with the Twin Towers getting destroyed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I think one of the Spider-Man movies at the time had a scene, I think, where he was like on the Twin Towers. And I think they had to change that to have him on the Empire State Building instead. Yeah. Just like Independence Day, the president in this movie gives a big speech, listen to around the world, and they show people like tuning in all over the country. I address you tonight, not as the president of the United States, not as the leader of a country, but as a citizen of humanity. We are faced with the very gravest of challenges. The Bible calls this day Armageddon, the end of all things. And yet, for the first time in the history of the planet, 
A species has the technology to prevent its own extinction. Way less inspiring than the Bill Pullman, we will not go quietly into the night speech. Oh, that's a good speech. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And then also like Independence Day, it's a very similar story of sending like the everyman into space. Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum had to go up and blow up the UFO. And here we got a bunch of knuckleheads and a drill going up to blow up an astronaut. Yeah. And more importantly, don't they have like a nuclear bomb on the... They do. Yeah. So not only are you just training these guys to operate a drill... You're also giving them a nuclear weapon, a giant nuclear weapon. Right. And and guys who, one of which was chasing around one of the other guys on his oil rig with a shotgun. Yeah. Like 10 days before that happened. All right. So I feel like we've busted on the acting and the writing for a bit, but what about- Let's bust on <laughs> the directing. Yeah. Let's talk about- Let's just directing. talk about- So in my opinion, the cinematography- the directing of this movie is what is Michael Bay. Yeah. Because you look at some of these other movies we talked about that he, that he did. I would say bad boys, the rock probably his two best movies that are watchable. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you can watch those again. Pearl Harbor. It's got some moments, but it's like five hours long or something ridiculous. And you just can't, uh, I mean, this movie was long too. This movie was almost three hours long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's just, why? Why was it three hours long? Does it, too much slow motion. I wrote a note here because from the end of the movie when they're kind of all uh, escaping and the shuttle's taking on crazy damage. And I'm like, it's lucky everything happens in slow motion so that they have time to escape. <laughs> because so much of this movie, there's so much slow motion. That's like a Michael Bay thing. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting irony in that he, he's known for his quick cuts you know, a cut of the movie maybe lasts three seconds before it cuts to another angle, to another angle, to another angle, to another angle. Yet he has so much like slow motion. I think the Michael Bay shot, and this is going to be hard to, you know, it's, this is a podcast. There's no video here. Maybe we can get an animated GIF that we can put in the show notes, but like that sweeping low shot as like a character is like standing up and they're yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. the slow motion shot following them as they stand up, or they're just like turning their head and and looking out at a huge scene. Those are the, and they and the camera just kind of like you know pans around them and swings around them. That's like to me like the Michael Bay shot. And there's a ton of them in this movie when they're walking to the shuttle, or uh, like it's a big group shot and they're all walking slow. And we've seen that in like a million movies now. Yeah, yeah, that's just his his style his his way to go and just the quickness and fastness of cut here cut here cut here cut here it's like i mean he he came up in making you know music videos and that's where that you know that whole you know music video generation of directing where it's like very short attention span very quick cuts you don't have a shot on a character for like a 
30 seconds to a minute long just on their face as they're walking or they're having a conversation. He's constantly cutting back and forth as the conversation's happening. I wonder if he ever did any Aerosmith music videos. Because uh, He did. Uh, he totally did. So that's, yeah. that explains almost this whole movie. Yeah. And interesting that... So that... I was about to say the best thing that came out of this movie. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> a huge famous thing that came out of this movie, of course, is... I don't want to miss a thing, the Aerosmith song. that was like a huge single for them. They didn't even write the song. They just recorded it. It was written and handed to them. And they I remember reading this that they didn't actually want to do it. They didn't want to record it. They would only only want to record songs they write. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure they were paid very, very well and were convinced to do it. And good thing they did because it was a huge hit. And there's another, I think Sweet Emotion plays earlier yep. in the movie. So a couple uh, Aerosmith. I don't know if there's any other Aerosmith. Those are the two that I... There was, a, there was a song right in the beginning, which I think was Bon Jovi, Mr. Big Time. I think it was them, unless Aerosmith covered bon Jovi? it for the movie. Uh, I don't remember. And then the only other song I caught was Ben Affleck singing Leaving on a Jet Plane to Lift Oh, Island. yeah. All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. I'm standing here outside your door. I hate to wake you up to say goodbye. So kiss me and smile for me. Let me know you'll wait for me. Hold me like you'll never let me go. Cause I'm leaving on a jet plane. Don't know I'll be back again. Leaving on a jet plane. (laughs) I don't know when I'll be back again. Leaving on a jet plane. I don't know when I'll be back again. So, Truman, this is who you found to save the planet. That was good. No, no, that wasn't good. That was terrible. <laughs> I would say one of the more memorable lines, I feel like I've seen this a couple times then, is when Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler, they're having kind of their last night together out in some field, and uh, she asks him, Do you think it's possible that anyone else in the world is doing this very same thing at this very same moment i hope so otherwise what the hell are we trying to save i I feel like it's not a bad line yeah for writing that wasn't too bad there were only a couple lines that i was like oh yeah that's that's pretty decent the best line in the movie is billy bob thornton it's what we call a global killer (laughs) (laughs) yeah what about Carl, the guy who actually discovers the asteroid, who's like, oh, yeah, who for some reason hates his wife and he makes sure everybody knows about it. Yeah. Because as soon as he spots it, he's starts shouting at her. Go get my phone book. Will you get my phone book? Get those names. Those guys from NASA. Excuse me. Am I wearing a sign that says Carl Slave? Go get my goddamn phone book. Get the book. Get the book. Get the book. 
for no reason. Yeah, he's, she's he's looking. He's in an observatory in a Lazy Boy. <laughs> what? That doesn't happen. And that's a giant observatory, but they make it seem like it's in his backyard. Yeah, like it's bigger no, than the house. It, it's huge. And then uh, later, they're asking him like what he wants to name the asteroid or something, and he's like, "The person that finds her gets the namer, right?" Yeah, yes, that's right. That's right. I want to name her Dottie after my wife. She's a vicious, life-sucking bitch from which there is no escape. <laughs> yeah, like, there's like, no reason. Is, talk, they're not. What they're are you not talking char- about? They're not made characters, so why yeah. throw that in? It's just. Yeah, there's a lot of that random stuff where there's just like random. I, I mean, the, one of the other weird characters in the movie who doesn't really have any lines is when going back to when they were doing that psychological test. There's that like strange woman who's like peering into the window. And she has that like reflect that doctor's reflector thing like on her oh, yeah. on her head, and I'm like like oh she has it like over like that thing is designed it's like a really old school thing to where the doctor would put that over their eye and it's like a big mirror so that that way it would reflect all the light and they could peer closer to s- and examine someone. Clearly, no one uses that anymore. But why does she have it on her head and she's like using it to look through a window? That's not. It's just like, oh, that look, lady looks really weird, and we'll put that thing on her, and it looks strange, and it'll freak everybody out. It's like, come on, man. What are you doing? Yeah. Come on, son. I, I also did. <laughs> I didn't feel great about the line where uh, Steve Buscemi is talking to Bruce Willis, like when the military shows up on the oil rig towards the beginning. Harry. What? And I swear to God, she never told me her age. Like, what yeah. Are, what are they yeah, implying there? Come on. Yeah, that doesn't age well. That's not all, great. Really. What the other thing that really bothered me, it wasn't necessarily a, a line, but when they're they're on the spaceship and I think they're trying to get ready to take off off of the asteroid and one of the only two real astronauts who's still alive, there's a female astronaut. I think it's uh I think Jessica Steen is the actress. Yeah, yeah. She's mm-hmm. trying to fix the engine on the shuttle so they can take off and i guess it's taking too long so lev the the russian guy comes over literally throws her out of the way and starts banging on the engine with a wrench i I have to take you away if you don't move what you gotta get that shuttle started you gotta fire it up now damn it chef get off this back i'm telling you please move this is our big problem in the russian space station because I don't want to stay here anymore. <laughs> with a hand. And it fixes it. So, like, this uh, train... Well, hey, that's how Mir works. Oh, my God. That wasn't Mir, though. They were on the space shuttle. <laughs> no, well, I'm saying the space station he was on, because they were on Mir before he... Uh, before they blew it up. He, right, I'm saying that's how Mir worked. Like, yeah, it was a Russian. You had to hit it with a wrench a couple times to get it to work. Not the International Space Station, so, you know. Right, right. The other thing that seemed strange about those space shuttles... Well, I guess it was the space station. They stopped to refuel the shuttle at the space station, like before they leave Earth orbit. And I guess for making the movie look better, they start rotating the space station to simulate gravity before everybody gets on. So now they don't have to fake gravity for the movie. Right, right. But then they're trying to pump this fuel up a hose to get to the space shuttle. Wouldn't it have been easier... To not turn on gravity to try to pump this fuel out, but wouldn't had it would not have been easier to film zero gravity. <laughs> Correct. So, therefore, it's just like any movie. Like you even look at what was the movie um, Interstellar. They have that too. Like any. I feel like they did Apollo a pretty good job. Apollo thirteen. 
well, okay, they did a good job with some of the stuff, but like Apollo 13, that movie was like legit in its portrayal of zero gravity. Like they actually shot scenes of that film yeah. in the Vomit Comet and getting and shooting an actual zero gravity. So like they could have done. You got to commit. You got to commit. They could have done one, one or two rides on the Vomit Comet for this movie. I feel like they probably had an enormous budget. Oh, Just, for sure. But they spent it on fire and explosions. <laughs> and actually, one of the things I want to talk about, so I watched a couple of the special features. The most interesting one is on the effects, the special effects that they did for the asteroid. The amount of effort that went into that asteroid was crazy. So this is 1998. It's not pretty much like CG is not, I think, when did Jurassic Park come out? 96, 97? No, I think it was before that. Was it 95, maybe? 94, 95? Anyway, so CG, you know, I don't, still kind of getting there. It's not like what it is today. That asteroid, all of those shots of that asteroid, practical effects. Yeah. They built that asteroid like gigantic. You know, it was probably 40, 50 feet tall, wide. And they were able to take cameras and like fly them into the asteroid, do all that stuff. And then they had, you know, an artist. It was so funny. They're like, yeah, in Photoshop, like we're just coloring all this stuff in. And they had an artist kind of paint all of the trails and do all this stuff. And it took so long to render because of the computing power in that time that like they had to decide towards the very end, like they could only render this effect, this one shot of the asteroid kind of like flying by earth and, and splintering all over the place. They could only render it once because they needed to meet the deadline to get the film completed. So they just like took a shot at like getting it as best as they could and painting it. And they just rendered it. And that was it. But it was really cool. Like it was all made of foam and the way that they shot this and they put it against a green screen to be honest. I don't think it looked that good. No, no. Like it was not a very good, and it wasn't because it was a bad practical effect. I just don't think it was done really well. Like it, I was kind of like watching it like, dude, this looks terrible. It looked terrible in the film and not that it aged poorly. It just was not done well. And you know, I, I know the budgets were probably very different, but the movie, the Phantom Menace, the Star Wars movie came out one year after Armageddon and I know that's not considered a great movie. I'm not saying it is. But if you look at just the special effects in The Phantom Menace compared to the special effects in Armageddon, like they're not even on the same page. Yeah, I mean, the budget, so... I, I, I know, that's, budget. Budget is that's like George Lucas mil- money. $140 million. Yeah, and he's got that. Like that's... But still, uh, you know, but it's... I feel like they were just throwing money around for no good reason in this movie. Like when the space shuttle lands back on earth at the end, spoilers for some reason, the blue angels fly overhead. There's no reason to have that for, from a practical (laughs) perspective, like maybe have a parade for them later and have it then. But like literally they just landed and somebody had to pay the blue angels to fly in this movie. So there's wasted money right there. Yep. Yeah. There was so much in that scene that bothered me. So, They made it back to Earth. That bothered me, first of all. But, all right, so they survived. The wife of, well, no, she's not the wife. The baby mama, I guess, for Will Patton's character, Chick. Right. Who we only see in one very brief scene where he just shows up outside of her house so we can know that, oh, hey, he's got a son that he's never really met. So, for some reason, her and the son are both allowed on the airstrip. They're there when they land, 
even though as as far as anyone at NASA knows, she's just some random lady. And she just right. tells the kid, that's your daddy. And so he runs over <laughs> and hugs him. He's never, he's never met this guy. He's never hugged him. But he just, this kid who's like four years old, maybe, uh, not great. The other thing that really bothered me, there's also a couple strippers there that Steve Buscemi met in an earlier scene. They're allowed on the airfield and they like run over to him. I don't know how they got allowed on too. Nothing wrong with being a stripper. That's a fine profession. I'm just saying they can't just let anybody on this airfield for no reason. It's still a government, it's a government airstrip. They can't be letting strangers run out there. And then (laughs) the main Colonel Sharp guy, so he's one of the few astronauts left alive, goes over to Liv Tyler and salutes her and says, Colonel Willie Sharp, United States Air Force man. Requesting permission to shake the hand of the daughter of the bravest man I've ever met. What? Why is he saluting her? I, it was so cheesy. <laughs> I, I don't think it's worth. I don't think it's worth. So um, cheesy. Yeah, I don't think it's worth. Um, you know, getting into. Anyway, that's. I mean, that's the end of the movie, and it was just a terrible ending. Oh yeah, one of the things I wanted to bring up that was I thought was really interesting throughout the film when there's a couple scenes when like the president is speaking and they're showing these slices of America and these clips of people kind of like running to their radios or running to yeah all those shots all those scenes look like 1940s 1950s America if you go back and look at that the way people are dressed they're like on farms it's like midwest America they're running they're turning on their radios Mm -hmm. it was just kind of weird like it's this futuristic movie that they're doing these crazy things in space yet well, these are like your your everyman. Yeah, it was just kind of an odd thing. Like people, even the people in the cities and stuff, they were showing them. It just looked really. I don't know what the choice is behind that. I tried to kind of like look it up, and I couldn't find anything. But just kind of really odd that uh, you know that they were uh, uh, with that shot. It's just kind of strange. I, I don't. I didn't really get it. Yeah, I really felt like that was an homage, I guess, to Independence Day. That was a a, a very similar shot of the president talking people cutting to their radios uh, all around the country and around the world they did the same thing in independence day yeah oh and the uh not that this matters and you could probably cut it out the blue angels actually weren't the ones that flew over at the end it was the thunderbirds oh, which the oh, air oh. force equivalent and um they what they were flying over for was they were doing the missing man formation which is a honor reserved for like military funerals and things like that, in which the jets fly over and then one of the four or five jets that's in the formation kind of pulls off so that there's an empty formation. I don't think they did it right in the movie, but that's uh, that's what that's for because I think they were flying over for the astronaut that was killed because he was in the Air Force. Another interesting thing, I'm pretty sure the majority of NASA astronauts are in the Navy and not in the Air Force. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So majority of the test pilots that came out into the space, uh, they were they, a lot of them came. They were Navy pilots. They were Navy test pilots, not Air Force pilots. So just kind of interesting observation that the majority of the astronauts in this movie are Air Force, when I think they're normally Navy. Well, maybe they couldn't get the permission to to use like Navy logo. I don't know. No, I think you get it. Just all. I don't know. It's a bundled package, Whatever. bundled military. At package. this point, it's something to quibble over that doesn't really make any point because this movie was horrible. Although I will say I would much rather watch this movie than Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That movie was way worse in terms of being able to sit through. Yeah, that that was pretty bad. As long as we're picking on things, though, I, I will pick on one other line muttered by Owen Wilson 
after they took off. He says, This is space. We're just in the beginning part of space. We, we haven't even gotten to outer space yet. And I'm pretty sure he's saying that for a laugh, but it was actually one of the more accurate lines in the movie because <laughs> low Earth orbit is 2,000 kilometers and the real life International Space Station is only 400 kilometers. So they were on their way to the International Space Station. So they were still well within low Earth orbit. They were on their way to Mir, because the International right, Space right, Station right. was not built yet, actually, when this movie was released. Yeah. 2000 was when the International Space Station. I, I think that's only like halfway through the movie at that point when they're going to that uh, space station. And, you know, they're on that space station for about five minutes before they have the whole thing blow up. I feel like at that point, you just scrub the mission. You're like, these these guys took five minutes to blow up a space station on accident. Like, maybe... Let's bring him back and send somebody else. This is a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you might as well just be like, you know what? Maybe they'll just blow themselves up <laughs> with the nuke on the asteroid and it'll work. Again, the premise of the movie doesn't really make any sense. I know at some point they kind of explain why they chose astronauts or why they chose oil drillers over astronauts. Still doesn't make any sense. You can teach some an astronaut, most of whom have like engineering degrees and things like that, how to operate a drill. Just overall, bad, 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 bad movie. Uh, I, again, I, I don't still don't understand why I was in the Criterion Collection. I could never find anything, anyone, clearly no one in the Criterion Collection is going to admit why I was put into the Criterion Collection. Uh, lots of arguments for why it was. I don't, again, I think you could have put it in like The Rock or some other Michael Bay film. It's probably just thrown in there as a way to boost sales of a pretty terrible movie. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, I I don't really have anything more that. No, I think I've about this film. Yeah, I've I've dumped on it enough. I think you know, I I I hate to just sound like I'm tearing apart a movie that came out literally 21 years ago. I understand effects were different. Yeah, put all that aside. It's a bad movie. Right. It's, it's just not a good story. If Deep Impact, I'm gonna go back to it one more time, had not come out literally like the month beforehand and been a much better written and directed it, you know the effects were were more cg than practicals and and cg late 90s you know was still pretty sketchy but even so it was still a better movie way more impactful nice nice all right i think that's it for this episode of criterion on the couch you can find the show notes at criteriononthecouch.com slash armageddon mm-hmm. bonus points if you can find the show notes because Armageddon is not the easiest word to spell. Ooh, good point. Next time, we'll be discussing Dazed and Confused. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Criterion Couch. And on Instagram, we're at Criterion on the Couch. I'm Adam Urich with... Jim Massessa. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>